And welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. This is going to be kind of a really fun deep dive into The Art of War by Sun Tzu. And I first came across this book about 10 years ago when I was kind of looking at this. I had always heard that Sun Tzu's, the, the concepts and the ideas were very universal and you could apply them to all sorts of areas of your life, not just, you know, not just life in general, but even nuanced aspects. The, 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 the truths in this are so universal and, and so timeless that it's as relevant today as it's as it's ever been. And I just love this idea, and I came across the world's expert on Sun Tzu, uh, the son of Sun Tzu, like you could even call him, uh, Gary Gagliardi, who's translated Sun Tzu from the original ancient Chinese and has not only translated it to English, but he's also translated the ideas into different aspects. He got 40-plus books and, and I was fortunate enough to get to read the original translation as well as some of the secrets and the insights that go along with it. This is very exciting stuff, and I think this it kind of speaks for itself. So let's just get right into this. Gary Gagliardi, thank you so much for being on the show today. So this is this is great because I remember, you know, the just the idea behind Sun Tzu's philosophies. I think when most people hear about it, they think that it's you know specific to the military or for combat you know, death battles, things like this. But, you know, the first time I heard about applying these concepts to other things, I thought that was a really inventive kind of out-of-the-box way to think about it, but that may have been the original intention. Uh, Actually, that's a good question. So was it the original intention? Was this always about, you know, like battles, or was it just about competition the way you've kind of interpreted it? Well, the biggest mistake is that people think it's about fighting that is conflict when what it's really about is advancing your position in a competitive situation. In other words, it's about getting ahead. And Sun Tzu tried to take the whole idea of competition and boil it down to, you know, whatever was eternal. And, you know, in reading Sun Tzu's book, you won't know if they fought wars in ancient China with, you know, clubs or machine guns, because he never deals with those kinds of issues with, that other authors like, you know, Machiavelli in his book, The Art of War, or people like Clausewitz in his On War, you know, they always deal with specific types of, of military equipment. Sun Tzu doesn't do that because he deals with the only weapon that's unchanging in every type of competition, and that's the human mind. And he did that intentionally, to answer your question. He wanted to boil it down to something that would always be the major thing in every every sort of competitive situation and that's the way that people think and that's what he wrote his book about you know I, I, I love that concept I read The Art of War probably about 11 years ago and what's so interesting is as I was reading your book uh, it was I know you have several books so this is specifically I think it's a translation of The Art of War plus strategies how it applies to business in, in kind of a general sense you've got a sev- you know several mm-hmm. books where you specifically apply it to specific aspects of business marketing sales things like yeah, that Yeah there's sales there's management there's marketing there's a book for small business people that combines them all there's you know a lot I, I have some like 40 books out there so. <laughs> right right so you can get really down to the specifics how these particular universal truths kind of apply to the the mm-hmm. nuances of, of a particular business but I remember reading this 11 years ago and I, I this is not the same book that I read before the one I read before this is just my recollection felt very much almost like like how you'd hear like Confucius, kind of like wisdom nuggets, you know, like things, you know, never start a war with the person you, you know, have to make peace with later or something like that. You know, I don't know. That's a terrible one. But I don't remember it being quite like this. This almost reads like an instruction manual on step by step how to how what competitive what is a competition 
and what is like what is necessary to get these slight little advantages. We'll get into it. I'm kind of talking in broad terms here because we haven't gotten into any of the specifics. But it was funny because I kept going back to basketball. I'm a basketball player. I've always loved basketball. Mm-hmm. And I felt like immediately, obviously that's a competitive situation, and I felt like every single thing that you're talking about could really be applied to just playing basketball, offense, defense, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it moves so quick that, that it moves so quickly that you could, you know, you really apply these very easily to any competitive situation. So when when was it that you kind of first fell in love with Sun Tzu? I mean, were you into the military? Did you did you have that same belief that you thought this was about fighting and war? Or how did you get into it? Uh, well, I got into it because I was an aimless college dropout and uh, had no other <laughs> skills. So sure. I uh, I went into sales. And not knowing how to do anything well, I you know wasn't very successful until I read a copy of Sun Tzu's The Art of War, and I saw how those lessons could apply to the you know kind of the daily battles I was fighting, trying to sell stuff. And I started thinking about that competitive arena differently. I began to think of it as in terms of positioning, which is what Sun Tzu teaches. He teaches it's all about your strategic position and how do you advance your position. You don't think about fighting other people. You don't advance your position by trying to take theirs. You advance your position by filling openings, you know, where you go to the empty ground. And I started doing that in sales and I became, you know, not immediately more successful, but I became more successful. And when I started my own company some years later, I wanted to teach that approach to my sales guys. So I did a, uh, an adaptation for sales for my own salespeople. Uh, we became one of the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in America. They began writing articles about our use of Sun Tzu. I began speaking on those ideas to our corporate clients, you know, that were companies like uh, Hyatt Hotels and, and Pepsi and people like that. And uh, so when I sold my software company, I sort of continued it from there. Actually, at that point, I was you know, there were a lot of different translations of Sun Tzu. And like you, it's like, well, these things don't agree at all. You know, you said you you read one that was more like Confucius, you know, where everything was very abstract. And so languages had always been my hobby. And uh, I began studying and I'd been actually been working for three years on, on uh, learning Japanese, which has the kanji characters. And so I was familiar with the basics of, of Chinese characters and so I began studying the ancient Chinese and doing my own translation. I had enough money after selling my software company. I could do anything I wanted. And people were still inviting me to talk about Sun Tzu, so I decided I should probably learn a little bit more about it. And so I wanted to see why all the English translations were so different. And so I went back to the original Chinese and, uh, and did the translation from there. And what I found was that unlike my expectations from the English translations, the book was much more like Euclid's geometry than it was like a self-help book or even a, a ch- book on Chinese, Chinese philosophy. It was, it was very, very scientific. You know, it starts off with the specific definition of terms and in the first chapter, and then it goes on to more and more detail through the course of the book, dealing with more and more specific situations. And, uh, you know, my background was science. I was in computer science, obviously. And uh, I uh, just handled it like the scientific work rather than a work of philosophy or a work about military or a work about, you know, whatever. I just said, okay, this guy is defining certain principles. Let's just sort of use those definitions consistently throughout the book and translate it that way. So the definition came, so it came out very differently. I also tried to keep it in most translations mix commentary with translation and that's true not only in translating Sun Tzu that's just most translations in general so in Sun Tzu you'd say you know you'd read a part of Sun Tzu that says something like you know always let a a fleeing enemy escape and the guy that was translating it didn't like that idea so he'd add to that so you can you know chase after him and kill him while he's running away and Sun Tzu never wrote that last part. He right. meant, you know, <laughs> he right. meant, you know, don't don't face a desperate enemy because that's how you get a lot of casualties. You know, that's not smart. So I just translated it literally line by line. Each Chinese line of Chinese characters I made into an English sentence, 
And I did my first translation with the Chinese characters on one page, individually translated. Um, and then the English sentence translation on the opposing page, line by line, so that you could see, you can only see that my translation was keeping as close as possible to the original, but you could also use it to compare it to other translations and see where they were translating and where they were just making stuff up. Wow, so, I mean, it's almost like a, like an academic work in some ways where you can kind of trace the translations. Yeah, it was, it was very much of an academic work, and it was fun that way. It was like solving a puzzle, and Quite honestly, this was this was like in ninety seven, ninety eight that I did this. So it's almost twenty years ago. And I tell you, if I was to do the same work again today, it'd be a lot harder. First of all, because China was more open back then. Um, there were more resources on working with the Chinese characters and finding different uses and stuff online for free back then than there are now. Strangely enough, also, you know, my I, after working in twenty years and you know, working with companies and advising and training people and all this stuff. I've just learned so much. I mean, it seems like every year I learn that I missed certain things in the original and go back to the original Chinese. If I was to redo that translation today, I'd be very tempted to almost eliminate the military aspect completely Hmm. and just do it in terms of competition. Because as I said, he wrote it. You know, I almost feel like he, you know, was thinking of, partly of economics when he was doing this because some of the economic parallel, well, the whole theory is economic. Basically he says you avoid conflict because conflict's costly and you only have limited resources and you can't afford to lose those resources in conflict. I I think that that's probably true, but you know, we are a tribalistic military minded species. And so I bet it's, I think the basis is economic. I think you're probably exactly right there. But I think that there's a major military aspect. I mean, that's where the applications were, I would imagine. At least, oh, yeah. I imagine he had to have been funded by somebody, and that's probably the government or, you know, you know something yeah, like that. No question. Historically, if we want to get into the history, he was from a military caste. Um, they were called the Chi. They were landless nobility that is they were people that were born into nobility that lost this was in the period of time was called the warring states period where there were originally like you know 700 well that's that's an exaggeration uh city states in what we now call china and they were all warring with each other and certain states consumed other states and in the end there were you know seven or eight dominant states so there was this military caste that grew out of this era of of intense conflict Sun Tzu was a member of that, and he wrote this work really as an audition for a job for the kingdom of Wu, which was a semi-barbaric kingdom on the wrong side of the Yellow River. Um, And uh, he got the job, and during his period of the period of his life, he Wu became the dominant kingdom in the area. And uh, after that, his work spread throughout the region and led eventually to the unification of China, which was about 200 years later. It's funny because that almost it kind of smacks of people who write their dissertation on some random topic, and then their life's work becomes about that random topic. You know, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to <laughs> who, you know, on a whim wrote, wrote some great dissertation for a doctorate, and then people are like, oh, that's really interesting, you know. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's kind of funny how that works yeah, out. Yeah, but it, it, in his case, though, it was his family. It was his, you know, he came from this military caste. And I think he was writing down basically the principles that his family or his caste had developed over the years. And they just hadn't been written down before. Um, because it is extremely, I think his big talent was in organizing the information because the book is is very organized. And and it's organized according to sort of the principles of of. Chinese science and philosophy at the time, and you have to even get into that to understand the work a little bit, which I did late in a later book called uh, "The Amazing Secrets of uh, Sun Tzu's The Art of War." Right, but uh, it's it's you know it, it gets very complex, so we yeah. have to get into all that. Well, so it's interesting. I, I don't know. So you got a lot of information on your website, both about you, about the book, about several other things. One of the things I found was that so, so you were you kind of grew up on a military base, right? Your family was in the military? I was born on a military base. Um, my parents were both um, in the uh, Air Force. It was the early Air Force at this time, the 50s, and they were both you know, initial members when the Air Force was divided off from the Army. My parents both left the military 
probably, let's see, when I was about three or four, something like that, five. But uh, they were both, my mother was an officer, she was registered nurse, and my father was an enlisted man. He was a tech sergeant, and you. So you started. So according to your website, you studied the mil. You studied military strategy at an early age. I mean, were there were there any parallels between you and Sun Tzu? Did you see yourself as part of the military caste, so to speak? Of uh, no, no, not at all. My my yeah, both of my parents came. My my father's family were farmers. My mother's family. My my mother's father was a train engineer. Um, I. I was always interested in the, in the military um, because my parents came from that background and also because they were very attached to the Air Force and I was supposed, supposed to go to the Air Force Academy when I left high school. And I had my, we had, you know, we, I had theoretically, possibly, maybe, it's hard to say now, a, an appointment to uh, the Air Force Academy in Colorado. My father mm. was from Colorado and apparently the people there. But my physically, my eyesight was so bad that I couldn't get into military service at all. So I was always interested, and I was disappointed that I couldn't serve, and so my interest kind of started there. Got it. Okay. There's this that makes a lot of sense, and it's funny you mention your eyesight because one of the things I took away from from this book, one of the main things was this real concept of taking stock in your strengths. Knowing and also your weaknesses, so knowing where you're strong, where you're weak, accentuating the the strengths, um, kind of hiding the weaknesses, but also having that same knowledge of your opponent, knowing their strengths, knowing their weaknesses, knowing how your strengths match up against their weaknesses to take full advantage. I mean, at its at its core, that is really the definition of competition. When you really get down to it, it's what do you have that's better than the person, the company that you're facing, however you want to apply this, whatever competitive place you want to apply it. That's really the crux, I believe, of what we're talking about. And what's interesting is on your website, I found this fascinating that there's a whole page dedicated to kind of, I don't know what's the word, but but your physical differences and, and how they're, oh. they're kind of, uh, that, that I don't want to call them disadvantages, but definitely things you had to kind of take stock of. If I can go through them really quickly, I just found this fascinating. <laughs> no, don't. Don't go through that. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you can go through. That. I, just just briefly because I found this fascinating in in that realm of that conversation. Uh, you don't have t- you can't taste no taste buds no salivary glands. Um, you see colors very differently. You've got one eye that can see long distances, one eye that can see short, which actually sounds kind of cool. Um, you have a hard time perceiving directions, left, right, up, and down, which I thought was amazing because producer Sarah of the show has absolutely zero sense of direction. So I think, I think you guys might be yeah. might be kind of in the same in the same place there. Well, it's it, it, it's an extreme form of dyslexia. Got it. Okay. Um, where you know, I I can't you know write or anything without. I can read, you know, when a, when a door, you know, a glass door says pull on one side. Yeah. I always pull it because I read it from the other side <laughs> as pull, you know, <laughs> even Stuff though it's like bad. That. Right. Same. <laughs> right. That, that makes sense. So your body temperature is two degrees cooler than normal. I don't know how that fits in. I just found that fascinating. And you have an incredible <laughs> sense of hearing. Um, you're not 20, but you have the, the, the ears of a 20 year old, which is pretty incredible. Now, this is the reason why I bring this up is because this is a very interesting set of skills, both positive and negative that I imagine. And some of these things were acquired later in life. They weren't, these weren't things that were always ongoing with you. And I'm just speculating here. I just would imagine these things would be kind of ingrained into your mindset. Do you think about these things and how the kind of how how your weaknesses can be used as strengths and how your strengths can be used against you when you're going into a competitive situation? Um, not really. Um, I don't think it's about me as much as it is about the situation. Right. Okay. Um, I certainly, you certainly have to know yourself. I mean, Sun Tzu says it simply, know yourself and know your enemy right. or know your opponent. I don't like the word enemy because the Chinese character actually means um, fellow nobleman. Um, it doesn't mean enemy. It means somebody like yourself that's in the same competitive situation. Right. And uh, the, but you've got to know yourself and know your opponent, but you also have to know the competitive situation and what the goals are and what the opportunities are. Sun Tzu defines an opportunity as an opening. And to fill an opening, you have to have certain abilities. 
And so you, you have to know what your strengths are um, so that you can fill that opening, but you've also got to be able to fill it better than anybody else. So you have to know the strengths and weaknesses of those people that, you know, you're competing with, even if you don't know who they are, you know, can they fill this opening better than you can? You know, I'm very idea oriented. I come with ideas all the time, but I, I don't have the necessary resources to fill a particular opening uh, for a variety of reasons mm. these days. It's because I don't have that much time. You know, my time is consumed by all the stuff I'm involved in already, right. carrying my history like a long tail. Right. And uh, so I can't get into, I can't start new companies because, you know, I just don't have the time to do that. But also you just, you know, if you have a great idea about a, a great, consumer product. And I, I do this all the time because people come to me with their ideas and stuff. And I said, well, do you have the resources to do this? And it's like, do you know people? Do you know the industry? Do you know the whatever? And they don't. It's like, it could be a great idea, but you've got to have the resources to be able to fill the opening and fill it better than anybody else. And uh, um, so it's not just about what your strengths are. It's about being able to see the openings around you in which your strengths can play. And that starts for most people, you included, um, by starting with the people around you and what openings you can fill and the people you know, you know, in your relationships, how you can fill the needs of others, because that's what an opening is. It's an unfulfilled need. Um, in, your, in your work, how to fulfill the needs of your organization and specifically of your boss. Um, you, know, you know, people make big mistakes or in, in dealing with bosses all the time. Actually, I've attempted to write a book about it, but I don't have the time. <laughs> that would be a really good one. <laughs> I agree. Actually, speaking, you were speaking of basketball, the book we're working on right now, actually, I'm not doing it. Uh, somebody that knows sports is they're doing, we're doing a book on sports coaching right now. That's done in the, you know, one line of Sun Tzu's The Art of War. A lot of my books are written where you have The Art of War on the uh, left-hand page, line-by-line trans adapted to whatever the area specific area is on the, on the left hand, on right hand page. And we're doing a book on sports uh, coaching right now. Um, in that format. I think that's a brilliant idea because I brought up, I brought up all the physical things because that's where my mind goes. Right. So again, I'm thinking basketball, you're a business minded guy. So this immediately goes to business for you, right? You're talking about filling a yeah. need in the market. When I think of that, I'm thinking, okay, I have the ball. The guy on me is probably a little bigger than I am. I may be stronger than he is. I'm probably quicker than I'm quicker than most people my size. And so these are the things that I take. I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. Uh, I know when I should shoot, when I can't. And you talk about knowing the people around you. Again, when I think about playing like a pickup game, well, let's say you don't know the four other people you're playing with, right? You have to kind of guess at what their strengths are. You have to kind of guess and, right. and trust them sometimes. And, you know, occasionally <laughs> make the wrong decision <laughs> and the layup goes flying over the backboard. Um, but, but so that's like where my mind goes. So when I, when I was thinking about this, th th those, like th that list of things that they said about you, I was thinking, okay, if I had th those situations, how would that affect the decisions that I made when I saw an opening for a shot or for a pass or whatever that I guess. So that's like kind of where my mind goes. And, right. and I think of that as the, the spirit of the competition when I think of war, right? Like when you're talking about the art of war, I know that, that it doesn't translate mm -hmm. correctly to war. Right. And I know it's general competition, but when I think about a military conflict, it's really about the physical confrontation between people, at least in my mind. What was interesting about your book is one of the first things that you mentioned is that it's, it's, if you, if you, if you're fighting somebody, You've you've already lost. I think I think the exact thing is um, uh, fighting opponents openly is usually a failure of strategy, and I think that is was kind of eye opening for me. Like that as a philosophy, and also be like the properties of water, you know, which also includes filling open areas with with you know as as smoothly and easily as possible. Those are the kind of very Eastern philosophies that I think you really have to put on that outfit, that clothes, you have to really step in the shoes of someone who believes those philosophies and really breathe them in before you can really understand what's going on in this book. Would you agree with that? Uh, yes, I, you can, but you can also see it in your, in your real life. You know, if these things are true and I believe they are true, um, they're true for everybody for all time. Mm -hmm. And, and you, you realize the, I mean, even in describing, you know, sports competition, you're not describing 
physical activity as much as you are describing decision-making. Right. What matters, right. your physique or the decisions you make? In a, in a sports contest, well, I would argue I would argue your physique matters quite a bit. But you're you're you can have extraordinarily smart players who can get away with not being um, as physically able as other people. Well, once more, what matters most? Your decision. Uh, let's take two people with the same physique. Mm-hmm. Which one is going to be successful? The one that makes the right decisions or the one that doesn't? I, I'm always a brain guy, so I'm always with the, the guy who makes yeah. the right decisions. That's why, that's why Tom Brady's played for so long. Yeah, in the end, it always comes down to how good your decision-making is. Right. And, yeah. you know, your physical abilities are actually limited by your decision-making abilities. Well, that's fair, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the, 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 and that's, that's basically what Sun Tzu is teaching. And he's trying to teach you some basic principles that you may be overlooking. The idea that that your strengths, that strength comes from weakness and weakness comes from strength. In other words, you know, he's he's just saying that you know what you can, where you can be strong is where others are weak, and you've got to step into those positions. That's how you decide where to move. You move toward openings, and that's what mm-hmm. the whole flowing with water thing comes from is that right. water naturally flows to the lowest place. And uh, in a sense, it's the place where you can serve, you know, that's the lowest place. It's, it's very Christian in a way, mm-hmm. uh, the idea that you're looking for ways to serve other people in the end, in most forms of human competition, not sports particularly, but in most forms of competition in real life, in your career, in your relationships, and so on. Mm -hmm. It comes down to how well you can serve other people and to win those. What what Sun Tzu teaches is that it's not about beating people. It's about advancing your position. And the only way you can advance your position is to develop positions that other people support as opposed to, uh, as, and don't oppose. Mm -hmm. If people are opposed to you, they're going to press down on you. But if people support you, they're going to lift you up. And so how do you get people to support you? Well, you serve them. You serve their needs. That's the way you get lifted up. People don't see that. And, and you know, in their jobs, they don't see that their jobs, basically, every job in the economy, not in government, but in the economy, um, it, every job is really serving other people. Mm-hmm. And people don't pay you. And people come out of college. We stopped hiring people out of college because they didn't get this. People don't pay you to do what you like. Um, you know, you pay other people for what you like. Um, people pay <laughs> right. you to do what they need. Right. And, and uh, you know, this idea people have that, you know, I'm going to do what I like and people are going to pay me to do it. No, you're going to do what they like, what they want, what they need. And you've got to find ways to serve. And the way that you advance in the world is to serve people. If you're building a business, which is, you know, where I first got known using these ideas. Mm-hmm. It's obvious, you know, if you're not serving your customers, they're not recommending you to other people. They're not paying their bills. They're not, you've got to serve their needs. If you serve their needs, you know, it, 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 you, that one success with one customer leads to more customers. You know, they, you're able to charge them and they're able to pay you and you make a profit. Um, if you're serving needs that nobody else can serve, well, then you make a bigger profit. Mm-hmm. The, the, Rare, you know, the more competition you have, in other words, the more people trying to serve a particular need, uh, the less it pays. When it's a need that everybody else is overlooking, what Sun Tzu calls the empty ground, um, that's where you make your best returns, is that nobody else can address this need for you, um, but I can, and, you know, therefore you make the best profit. That's the way we get our company you know, through its 14 years of growth, 15 years of growth is basically we said, well, what are we doing that's the most profitable? Because that's the need the customers have that is the hardest for them to meet. And those were sometimes the hardest jobs to do. But the fact that they were the hardest was the reason that nobody else was doing them, which is why they were the most profitable. All those things are connected. And, you know, in Sun Tzu handles that in a philosophical way, talking about, you know, um, uh, complementary opposites and how weakness creates strength and stuff like that. But in real life, we see it all the time in, in the economy, you know, people's needs is what creates other people's wealth. You know, there was a need for a Google and an Amazon and uh, they were the ones that were able to fill that need. Nobody else was. And that's why they're dominant today. And over time, what Senzu teaches is organizations grow big and then they become divided in their purpose. He taught that strength comes from unity and focus. 
And most people aren't focused enough and they aren't, and they're too divided in their goals, which is why they aren't successful. You know, as companies get big, they become more divided in their goals. They become less focused. Parts of them start warring upon each other internally, you know, for, for political reasons. And they, you know, they can't keep growing like they would. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of organizations like Amazon, um, Full disclosure: I'm a big investor in it. I mean, most of my assets are in Amazon. Wow. But I wish they'd divide the company up because they're in too many different things. Right. And right. Uh, if I own Amazon, I'd split off AWS, their web service company, and I'd split off their their uh, warehousing company, and so on, so that they were separate companies, so they weren't divided. They could be more focused. No, it makes sense. I mean, I'm a big fan of Netflix. I mean, I work in the entertainment industry. Uh, you know, that's kind of the the industry that I know. They are, mm-hmm. as far as unity of focus, I mean, they have always been straight ahead. And even when they make their turns, they're straight ahead in that turn. There, there's no, there's always very calculated moves with everything that they've done, at least up to this point. They've had very few missteps. I mean, famously, they had a misstep when they were trying to switch from DVDs to streaming. And ultimately, they proved to be correct just two years early. Uh, but, but that was really the only misstep. And, and they are filling, they're doing exactly what you're talking about. Uh, filling needs it, it's it's kind of interesting you know one of the things right at the base of all this i found this is this is kind of cool the the laws of competition the basic things you know we, t- we kind of talked about them you know in, in brief but knowing foreseeing moving and positioning how they're, they're all really related i mean this is really the basis you know knowing is knowing your strengths knowing your opponent's strengths foreseeing is predicting the the opportunities that may come up moving is actually acting on those on those predictions and then positioning is kind of what you were saying it's kind of shoring up where you were you know gaining support and and every one of these things is related but this is essentially the basic cycle of of competition correct right um i describe it actually in more recent books it's you know 20-year history of describing that cycle right. is just listen, aim, move, claim, because it's easier to remember. You know, you listen to people to understand your situation. You aim at an opportunity that's, that's an opening around you. You move to take advantage of that opportunity, and then you claim the new position. You make it known, you know, what you've succeeded in doing so that you can, you know, make your, your go through your next cycle of listening. When you make a claim, you know, people respond by saying things and you find out how what's true in your claim and what's false in your claim. And from there, you can, you know, develop your new position. But the idea is climbing positions like you climb a ladder. You know, you don't leap to the top of a tall building in a single bound like a lot of people seem to think. You know, everybody that's been successful, they've gone through a, long, a cycle of, you know, failures and they've grown gradually over time. You know, Netflix is a good example. You know, they came out of an area where they were, you know, that's dead today. And they were able to be reborn as a new kind of company because they saw that their business was dying. You know, if you live long enough, you know, I'm in my 60s now, you see a lot of businesses die. But I got the exposure early because we were in high tech and the average lifespan for a software company in our era in the in the uh, 80s and 90s was something like three years. We saw literally five generations of competitors come and go. And uh, you had to reinvent a company wow. more or less continuously um, until you got to a certain size. And, you know, we were growing quickly. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and, you know, as you grow, it gets harder and harder to adapt to changes. You know, Netflix was fortunate they could change into streaming, even if they did it too early. Um, they were able to make that change. But if you get, you know, a base of customers that tie you into old technology becomes very hard to change. You know, IBM had that problem in shifting over from mainframes. You know, they had a huge base of the mainframe customers that kept them tied to the past. But the better example, because they were able to transform into a service company, a better example was digital that was the number one mini computer maker, and they don't exist anymore because they weren't, they, had, they were tied to a base of technology mm-hmm. that they, you know, couldn't shift out of. Well, I mean, it's it's funny because I mean that really that adapt or die kind of mentality 
is built into Sun Tzu, but you know, I mean, I think you mentioned in the book Nokia was the the biggest phone company, and then once the iPhone came along, I mean, yeah, no one's oh. heard of them. No one, no one has a BlackBerry anymore. You know, I mean, newspapers are are, are dying off. This 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 mentality. Books are dying off. I mean, when we started writing, you know, we were a publishing company. We sold to bookstores. We, you know, had books printed in China and brought over, you know, in in. Uh, you know, shipping containers and warehoused and all that stuff, all that's gone today. You know, it's now all digital. You know, it's all, you know, printed on demand and stuff like that. I mean, they still have some bookstores and stuff, but that isn't the main business anymore. Yeah, but see, so like for me, I mean, I think this this all, again, this is like all this really kind of opened my eyes on this Sun Tzu's philosophy is that, you know, it, it's this unnecessary conflict against the, the inevitable right. winds of change, right? I mean, if we're going digital. I read more books now than I've ever read in my entire life, and I haven't, I mean, except for the show, some people will send me hard copies of books, but right. I, I read, it's all digital, it's all on, it's all on, on, on a reader. I read more, it's so much easier for me. I blast through books on this thing. I've never read more. I've never read more news than I do now. It, it's not, it's not the thing, it's not the content, it's the distribution service, and people get so caught up with fighting newspaper companies. Oh, we gotta keep no. newspapers alive. No, you don't. Yep. You just got to keep the news alive. You, that, that's it. That's all. We're, and it, one of the funniest things, the biggest battle, and this is perfect with this unnecessary battle, you know, uh, I forget what the, the exact line is, but basically how costly battles are. And taxi companies, I, I think, have lost a tremendous amount by simply wanting to have the infrastructure of the taxi cab in place against the encroaching, you know, peer to peer, whatever they're called, uh, ride shares, you know, like Lyft, Uber, things like that. That's inevitable. They've they've come up with a better service. You can do it on your phone. They come up instantly. Who wants to call on a phone? the cab company and have them come there and get charged four times as much. It's just a bitter business model. But for a long time in Los Angeles, you couldn't, taxis were fighting, taxi you know unions were fighting people going to the airport where the big businesses and all this stuff. It's unnecessary fights. They had the infrastructure in place. If they had just taken their resources and applied them in the correct spot, if they had seen the opening that they had, the advantage that they had, and had moved into that opening and claimed it, positioned themselves there, they would actually have probably edged out the other companies very quickly, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. And and, and you see it over and over again uh, where people fail to do that. And the reason they failed is because, once more, Sun Tzu said it's all about your mental framework. You know, everybody's always fighting the last battle. And also, if you're established, you've got all kinds of established systems. Everybody has their role. Everybody knows their role. Um, you know, cab drivers don't want to change. They don't want to, you know, Everybody resists change like crazy in an existing organization. It's actually easier to start a new organization than it is to uh, to change an old one of any size. Uh, also, you get politics into it. Um, you know, cab driving is another. I mean, Uber is another example where politicians, you know, because they've got the cabbies, you know, unions and stuff, they're supporting them. They politicians have tried to stop those organizations and still are trying to stop those organizations. You know, because politics is designed to stop change, you know, protect the people that have a current position. You know, so there's there's continual struggle between change and the existing system. That's what's uh, that's why Sun Tzu was banned, actually, in China for 2000 years is because they wanted to maintain the existing system. And Sun Tzu taught people how to overthrow the existing system and create change. And how anybody in their own individual lives could do that. And what the Chinese empire wanted to do was teach everybody that they had their place and that life was better if they just stuck to their place. Sun Tzu said, no, there's no place. The, the whole idea of positioning is you can, your position is what you make it. If you just stay in the same place, you're going to stay in the same place. And you're not going to have 10 years of experience. You're going to have one year of experience repeat, repeated 10 times. Um, or you can go out there, and this is true for everybody listening to your podcast. Everybody can go out there and they can create their own position. And it, it just means paying attention to what people need and filling those needs and advancing yourself by helping others. And by that, you help yourself. That whole idea of complementary opposites. You can't serve somebody else without serving your own interests. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's it's very interesting, and and I think you know to that effect, and to the other the point we're making about these other companies, it's it's interesting how when people take these very strong positions, there's there's this you know you you, you talk about um, in the end like if you do need to attack how how you can attack, and it's funny that. And this, and I am as guilty of this as anyone. But how anger can, in, in your mental mind state, specifically anger, can really affect the correct decision making process. And I'm as guilty, like I said, I'm as guilty of this as anyone. Yeah. But you know what he mentioned? You must wait for the right conditions. You don't let anger adjust your choices. If there's no advantage to a battle, stay put. It seems you know that seems pretty common sense. But most people they look for a battle, especially when they think they can win. They can win even if there's the the cost is very high. Uh, if there's little to be gained. Don't act. This is, you know, this is, I sometimes stand a lot on principles, and especially I've been dealing with a lot of customer service people, right, and things that are taking weeks longer than they should take. And I can tell you, th- there's there's nothing that, that eats away at my intellect more <laughs> than, than frustrating situations that lead to anger, and they erode any rational response that I would normally have. But this is saying that it is, that is really the weakness that you have. And, you know, the, the, this amazing line in there, anger can turn back into happiness. Rage can return to joy. A nation, once destroyed, cannot be brought back to life. Dead men do not return back to the living. That is true. I mean, it's essentially saying don't burn bridges. You know, I mean, it's right. it, it's it's brilliant. And don't waste your resources. You have limited resources. Don't waste it. Yeah, I just, I just those, those things to me really encapsulate some of the weaknesses that I think a lot of people have and a lot of stuff that's going on now in the country be it political be it in business we people want to take these stances on things that are really in the end extraordinarily costly whether it's yeah whether like as you mentioned whether it's a time suck whether it's financial whether it's just standing on principle to say i've won in the end have you though you know i think that's really the question people have to ask and and all of that is is built into the system which i just i love that one of the other cool things about this was not only do you talk about the rules of competition but you also give you know in true eastern style i studied a lot of martial arts but you know for every attack there's always a defense and you mentioned that there's like there's i think there's five basically targeting your opponent in a way that's designed to disrupt them Deception, division, battle, innovation, and siege, which all essentially attack one of the four knowing, foreseeing, moving, positioning. I love this concept of, of being able to know how to attack, you know, how to attack someone's position, how to attack someone's foresight, things like that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, boy, we can get, we almost have to start with, with more basics, okay. um, such as what makes up a position, which is your mission, the climate. Your mission is your goals, right. and that's that's the most important thing. Because most people, you know, pe- everybody needs a clear goal in life, period. People are happier with goals. Your whole dopamine system that rewards you, rewards you for moving toward goals. If you don't have a goal, you're, you're not a very happy person. If you're not moving toward your goal, you can't be a happy person. So the most important thing is mission. The next thing is climate. Uh, Sun Tzu calls it heaven. And those are the things that are changing. And it's that constant change that creates new opportunities. And most people are frightened of change uh, because, you know, they're happy with their existing position. But change means that your existing position is always being eroded. You know, you've, as you said, you're a physical person. Mm-hmm. Well, I can guarantee you as you get older, you're going to be less physical because you're, your physiognomy is going to erode over time. Mm-hmm. That's the nature of all positions. The third thing is the ground, and that's the source of resources. And the part of ground you control is the resources that you you have access to. Um, The ground is where competition takes place, and it's really what you're fighting for, the rewards in the environment. And, of course, in human society, the rewards come from other people. Your environment is other people. You're not trying to conquer them. You're trying to win them. Mm-hmm. Then you have those are those are the externals. The externals are change and uh, the ground. The internals, that is what makes up you as a competitor, are your methods, that is the skills you've developed, and you can always learn more skills, but you have a base of skills that you have to build on. You know, if you if you're not good at mathematics, you're not gonna go into engineering. Right. Um <laughs> but if you're a people person, you know, you might think about nursing. Um, but anyway, you have certain skills and you build on those skills, 
but you also have a certain character. And once more, Sun Tzu breaks down all these things into finer and finer elements so you can analyze them more specifically, but character he breaks down into, into five different components and so on. But those five things are the basis for understanding your position and your position relative to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, once you understand those things, you can start to see where openings are. In other words, it starts with mission. Um, where your mission aligns with other people's mission, where what you want as a goal can be satisfied by other people by meeting their mission, their goals, you know, and the most obvious places in your career where, uh, you know, you want to align your goals, say, with your boss's goals. Obviously, mm-hmm. your boss can pay you more money or promote you or whatever, or maybe not even your boss's goal, maybe your boss's boss's goals. But if you can understand what their mission is, you can and what their problems are, especially what their problems are, because that's where their mission is frustrated. You're in a much better position if you, you can figure out ways to address it. We were talking earlier about dealing with bosses. You know, the biggest mistake people deal, make in dealing with their bosses is they bring them problems. They can bring their complaints to their boss, hoping mm-hmm. their boss is going to wave a magic wand and solve their problems for them. And it's like, you know, I need more money. It's like, yeah, we all need more money, kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's your, your boss can address that, but that's, you know, you're not, you're not telling him anything he doesn't know. But if you go to your boss and say, Hey, you know, it occurs to me that there's this situation that's creating these problems. And this is something we can try to do about it. And this is how we can do it. That's the whole, you know, uh, um, listen, aim, move, claim thing. If you can bring a solution to them, something you can try as an experiment, and, uh, you know, he's first of all going to like you a lot more because he's got problems. And if you're thinking about his problems, he's going to like you because, you know, you're on the same page. But some of those experiments, not all of them, most of them will fail, but some of those experiments will succeed. And every time one does, he'll advance and you'll advance Mm -hmm. uh, in your position within the company. And that's the way, you know, careers are made everywhere and not within a company, but within the economy and written large. And uh, people that get into specific situations over time and Sun Tzu deals with those and there's nine of them and we don't have time in this conversation to go into all of them um, because those are the really, you were asking about, you know, the counter um to listen, aim, move, claim. Well, those aren't as important, interestingly enough, as the specific situation you're in at a given time. And there are early stage situations where the focus is really on advancing as quickly as possible. There's middle stage situations where you're reading, meeting certain kind of competitive problems and there are specific ways of dealing with those problems. And then there are later stage situations where the situations grow more difficult and desperate and you have to use, you know, more desperate means to address them. And, uh, you know, what Sun Tzu provides is kind of a roadmap for identifying each of those situations and knowing the proper response. And that's something most people don't have. You know, uh, most people don't realize what their situation is because they have no way of diagnosing it. And then they, we don't know what to do. Okay, that's my situation. I'm in a a scattering situation. That's a situation where a, a larger competitor is coming after your territory. Okay, what do I do? Um, you know, you've got to have some sort of plan to go forward. What Sun Tzu teaches is that you have to, you know, you can't confront a larger foe directly. Uh, what you have to do is is move out of your current position and go into something that deal with something that he needs, uh, that he has to defend. And, uh, I probably shouldn't have picked that situation because it's one of the rarer ones um, I should have dealt with. What about a situation where you're 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 in a job and there are several people, let's say at roughly the same level, and there is one position that is above that. So there's you know three people vying for let's say uh, a promotion. How I mean, how do people navigate those types of situations, especially when everyone is roughly the same 
ability level. Maybe people, there's more seniority in certain places, but roughly right. the same you know, ability. How do you leverage your skills? Let's say you're the most senior person. How would you leverage that against someone who may be going after that position who, let's say they're even a little more qualified than you, but you've been there longer. Let's just make it so we can make it a little interesting. How, sure. how do people navigate those types of situations uh, with two or three competitors? It's, it's very simple. Don't go after the position that everybody else is going after. I mean, that may sound counterintuitive. Very much so. But if there's three people, if there's three people going after a position, don't go after that position. It, 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 and what do you do instead? You find a position that needs to be created that nobody else is going after. You don't think of hierarchies as something that were set in stone by God at the beginning of creation. You think of hierarchies as something that's created by the decision of men day by day as things are needed. If there's a position, they think there's something needed there. But if there's a bunch of people going after that position, it's not what you need. What you need is a situation where you can shine, where you can stand apart from everybody else. And the best positions are positions that you created for yourself. You know, I can give you lots of examples from my life, but you probably have a examples in your own life where you've done that without meaning to do it. Most people do create positions for themselves without even realizing it because they, if they step forward and step up to things that must be done and, and where they have the skills to do them and nobody else does, you know, that's how you create positions for myself. For example, I started in, in consumer products. I was with big pen corporation, but, um, this was during a time where computers were coming into buying. And, you know, my boss was dealing with computer reports for the first time. And, you know, the, our customers were buying based on computer reports and nobody understood computers. I knew a little bit about computers. I didn't go after my boss's job or a similar job. I became the guy that knew about computers in big pen sales organization. That was a, a very useful position. Of course, I used that position. Uh, I was, I was success. I became salesman of the year for other reasons, but, but uh, I actually used that position to go to my next career, which was in the computer business. But, uh, it, you know, you don't plan these things out, but it's the situation that arose. Computers were coming in. I, you know, I, I'd had a little experience with computers that, um, and, uh, knew a little bit more about them than everybody else. It wasn't much more, but it was a little bit more. And, uh, I was able to leverage that little bit of advantage in an area that nobody else was addressing to become not, you know, the biggest sales territory or everybody was competing on the basis of sales. I was competing on a completely different basis, computer knowledge. It actually led to being successful in sales, but uh, it led to being successful in the organization in a way that just sales success couldn't have done. I got to know the marketing guys at Big Ben and, you know, I, you know, I actually developed a, a very interesting position within the organization um, and a more interesting one than just if I'd gone, you know, up, the ranks in sales management. As it turned out, I went outside of the company entirely and went into computers because I learned enough to know, you know, that when the personal computer showed up, that was going to be a whole new area. It's kind of like Netflix knowing that, you know, streaming was going to be the future of, of video distribution. I think, you know, I think that, that, that there's there's a lot of, obviously, a lot of wisdom in that. But when you're talking about the average person, so people listening to this, if they're they're saying, hey, there's this, there's this job I want to go for, there's three other people involved, you're saying, don't go for that job, make a new job for yourself. That makes sense. I get right. that. But we've also discussed how difficult that process, while not, not set down by God, might as well have been in some cases because it is actually very difficult to have positions created for you as someone who's tried to do that on several occasions. It can be very <laughs> difficult. There, there's a bureaucracy involved. Like, I like the approach. I, I, I definitely think that there is, there's a lot to that. But I don't know if it's simply as easy. You know, Sometimes getting, getting ground that exists is much easier than creating ground that you then take over. Well, once more, if you're with a bureaucratic organization that isn't open to change, your first job is finding another organization <laughs> because that's a that's a that's a an organization that's that's. I mean, the world is changing so fast. The world is growing more and more competitive all the time. Right. And any organization that isn't adapting as fast as the world is changing is just dying, whether they know it or not. 
So if they aren't creating new rules, if they're trying to cling to their old hierarchy, um, you're clinging to that hierarchy and fighting over positions in that hierarchy is like, you know, people fighting for position in, you know, in digital computers. It no longer exists. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a dead horse and, and you're not going to be riding that horse anywhere. You got to think of your job as something that, that's helping you get somewhere. And if you're with an organization that isn't going anywhere, you know, and, and that's why, you know, Sun Tzu basically, you know, in Sun Tzu's time, everybody thought that size was the key to winning battles. And he said, no, unity and focus is the key to winning battles, to winning competitive situations. It's not size. Size doesn't matter at all because size has a number of handicaps, including the ability to move. You know, it's harder to move a large force than it is to move a small force. And if the key is positioning, who can move to better positions faster, a small force or a large force? In in the West, on the battlefield, that was proven by Alexander the Great, who, you know, defeated an army of two million in Persia with a force of something like 50,000. You know, it's, you know, the numbers don't matter. The Spanish Armada being defeated by the British Navy. That's right. There's lots of 300, the movie 300. <laughs> There's lots of, that was all right. about positioning and, you know, and focus. Uh, yeah, that, that's, I mean, that, that's, I think that's all great. As we close here, what is your favorite or do you think is the most useful bit of knowledge that uh, people can incorporate very easily into their life from Sun Tzu? Wow. <laughs> is there anything or is uh, well, it a, is everybody it a whole Everybody has different lives, so it's yeah. hard to know what they should incorporate in their own life. But the idea that um, you serve your interests by serving the interests of others, not by fighting them. That advancing a position depends upon winning the support of others and avoiding their opposition. It's a very simple idea, and everybody can think about their own situations from that perspective. I think that's I think that's a great one. I think that that's that's very useful for me for sure. Uh, I think that 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 I would say be like the properties of water. I really like that philosophy. Um, both of those, both of the things that and what you just mentioned are two things that I'm trying to incorporate. I think that they're very very useful. But this is I, we have. I don't even. I wouldn't even say what we've done here is scratching the surface. I think we've both looked at the surface of this. Uh, if you really want to do deep dives into this, you've got 40 books. You've got several websites. Uh, how can people get in touch with you and, and, and get this knowledge for themselves? Well, uh, my, my website on the art of war is scienceofstrategy.com, scienceofstrategy.com. Um, they can read about all the books there, but the best place to get the books is Amazon. Um, and if I was to recommend just one, I'd recommend the golden key to strategy. It, uh, Sun Tzu's book was written in a very, in a way that's not like a self-help book. And I basically took those ideas and put them in the form of a more modern self-help book. It's called The Golden Key to Strategy. It won the Ben Franklin Award as the best self-help book of the year. And uh, it's it makes these ideas, I think, both simple, kind of like, you know, what's the one I, I think it makes the ideas sort of easier to follow. It mm-hmm. reduces sons to about 100 simple lessons, but uh, 100 is a lot of lessons. But right. it's... Uh, it's a very it's a it's a fun book to read. It's a lot. It's got a lot of you know stories and personal stories and jokes and stuff like that to illustrate the ideas. And it's uh, the one book I'd recommend: the Golden Key to Strategy on Amazon. Now, now, are you sending people just in the interest of full disclosure here? Are you sending people to Amazon because of your significant financial interest in the company, or is that just the easiest place to get up? <laughs> or both? Um, it, it's well, both actually. Um, I, I'm not sure, but Amazon does have an exclusive on some of my books. Oh, that's cool. Um, okay. I'm not, uh, I, I'm, and Golden Key might, I'm not even sure, because once more I have a lot of different books. I'm not sure right. which are exclusive and which no, aren't anymore. Um, they can also go to, they can also download electronic copies at uh, my website of any of my books, the PDFs or, or uh, you know, the EPUB or Moby.Moby versions. But it's a lot easier, just in general. If you're reading ebooks, it's easier to get them from Amazon and so on. Uh, I probably make more money if you download them from my website. But um, it's, I think it's easier for the customer buying from Amazon than buying from us. Right. Um, <laughs> it, you know, I've never seen I, I probably like make, that. So I, probably, I probably make one-tenth of the amount of money from it. But uh, um, And certainly my sales of books, once more, 
I, you know, I'm not big on promoting. We also have online training, which is more important. You read a book, you retain about 5%, but we do have a pretty good training course that people swear by um, that, uh, you know, takes, you know, weeks or months to go through. Once more, you know, uh, you know, people, if they want to pursue this stuff, they'll find out about all that just by doing the, you know, just by looking up sciencestrategy.com or looking up my name or whatever. So, right. right. Well, I think it's great. I, I love this book. I, I'm actually excited to, to dive into this more. I think this would be extraordinarily helpful for me, anyone listening. And you've agreed to stick around for another 10 minutes to discuss something that's kind of in the wheelhouse here. Uh, it's translations, but translations in a completely different direction than war, which is your, you've retranslated the Bible, specifically Jesus's words, from original text. And I love this because this is not a show that professes any religion. I definitely don't proselytize. But we are equal opportunity for any interesting topic, anything that falls under the fascinating nouns banner. And I think this really fits because what you've done, this is my favorite thing, as you kind of describe Jesus Christ, the comedian. He's an <laughs> entertainer. Uh, you know, we kind of talk about, uh, you know, you kind of... It, expose how how kind of fun he was and, and and what his message really was i'm excited about this so we're going to get to that but until then gary gagliardi thank you so much for being on the show today that's right it was a pleasure and i want to thank everyone for listening have a good night fascinating nouns is a glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me daniel j glenn the show producer for this episode was sarah brandt the fascinating nouns introduction was produced by daniel j glenn and ea barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by ea barrientos if you like the show you want to learn more if you want to find this particular guest gary gagliardi and his myriad of books you can find it, fascinatingnouns.com. I got links to all this stuff. You can even subscribe to the show. Of course, if you love it, you don't want to miss an episode. On the Fascinating Nouns website, you can find links at the bottom to the Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and of course, Spotify. Get all your episodes delivered weekly to your favorite podcasting app. And if you want to follow the show on social media, you'll find links to the show's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages all at the bottom of the Fascinating Nouns webpage. And if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Find out more about it, danieljglenn.com. Thank you for listening. End of transmission.